From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It's a fresh new podcast today, Monday, November 27, 2023. I'm Crash Cottle, and guest host Scott Scherer is back in the studio. Did you and the family have a blessed Thanksgiving holiday? We did. And in fact, you remember, Crash, when I was here last, I said I would open today with big buck stories. So there is, I know there's probably thousands of people that have been in suspense since I made that comment. I know I have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did have a successful hunt. So I was able to hunt uh, every single day for the nine day deer season, which was nice, and a number of the days with my grandson, Caleb, and we both got big bucks and a doe each. So we have two head mounts. That is a success. Yeah, yeah, it was was very successful. It was a lot of fun. And it was also a nice break, which gave me time to think through where are we going with this campaign that we're on. Isn't nature awesome how you can get out there and just uh, kind of get out there in the quiet and uh, know God is God? It it really was it was relaxing and uh, it was it was a real blessing to be able to enjoy taking a break like that. So You're ready I, to get into the meat? I am, and I I want to I'm going to do a, a more formal introduction of our guest after I ask him to do the opening prayer. But Matt Truella is the guest today, and Matt, if you would open us in prayer, I would appreciate it very much. Yeah, it's um. I'm glad to do that, Scott. Father, we give thanks and we give praise to you that we are able to have this time to talk about these important matters. And we ask and pray that you uh, help me and Scott to articulate that which you put on our hearts and minds. And Lord, that you use it for good in the hearts and minds of your people, that you further equip them uh, to do the work of the ministry in the earth, to see your name glorified, to see strong homes established, Father. Lord, we thank you that you redeemed us, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of your Son. And we thank you that while we were yet enemies, you loved us, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you regenerated us. Lord, we surely should have been put to death for our sins, but you sent your Son to die in our stead. May we live in service to him who died in our stead and bring glory to his name with the days you've given us here on earth. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. So a brief introduction of Matt. Uh, I and our family have been blessed to meet Matt back in May of 22. Uh, Matt was one of four pastors who have allowed us to share our story uh, during a church service, and at the beginning, this shows how naive I was. I thought as we started speaking out, most of our speaking time would be at churches, and sadly, I found out that that wasn't true, and Matt uh, has become a friend after meeting him for the first time in May of 22, like I said, and he's the pastor of Mercy Seat Church in Richfield. Uh, He has a real heart for the preborn, 
and the responsibility that Christians have to take action. Uh, he, to that end, he wrote a book that is titled "The Doctor: The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates," which I've read. It's fan- a fantastic read, and we're going to cover a good chunk of what that means in the second half of the program. The subtitle of the book I really, really like. It says, A Proper Resistance to Tyranny and a Repudiation of Unlimited unlimited Obedience to Civil Government, which we're going to expand on that concept uh, quite a bit today. It, our family has listened to a number of Matt's, Matt's teachings, and one of the positive items with Mercy Seat is they don't meet in a church building which uh, is a good segue into how I would like to open today. So I'm going to do a short open, which I haven't done before because uh, we generally get right into it with a guest, but this is an important topic. And I normally also don't come up with a title, but I've come up with a title today, which is Where is the Church? So my open is this. Jamie Walden says the church in the United States thinks it has been persecuted because they had to wear masks in Home Depot while drinking lattes from Starbucks. He says that we are lovers of self, we have a form of godliness, and we willingly forget the truth, and we devote ourselves to doctrines of demons. And I clearly see that today. Uh, Matt, I'd like you to briefly comment on my open, and then I want to jump into... Uh, how did the church get to where it's at? Yeah, well, um, there you have it, <laughs> what you just said. And how did the church get to this point where we're, where we're at? That's a multiplicity of reasons for that, of course. Um, first and foremost, I believe, is the fealty, uh, the lack of fealty of the churchmen for Christ. Um, they have more interest in being liked and receiving the praises of men than they do, and running the Moose Club, because that's what most churches have been reduced to, is Moose Clubs. And that's what they have more interest in than being true to Christ. And when you're not true to Christ, you're not true to neighbor. You're not doing the role and function that Christ has given his people in the earth. And so it's a it's an incredible mess at this point. If you study church history, it ebbs and flows as you go through the centuries. And we're at a low ebb right now. And so repentance is massively needed amongst God's people, and we need to draw close to him and be utterly dependent upon him, for he is divine and we are the branches, and we can do nothing without him. Um, As I said, there's a multiplicity of reasons. There's the reduction of Christianity by the church. The church is the vehicle through which Christ's kingdom is expanded in the earth, and uh, we are to bring God's law and word to all of human life. His law and word address and impact every area of human life. And we are to bring Christian thought to all nations and to all humanity. We have to remember he calls us his ambassadors, his soldiers, his witnesses, his servants on down the line, his people, his children. And uh, so we must bring Christian thought to all areas of life. And because of this reduction of Christianity, Um, all of mankind is suffering at this point because of the church's self-centeredness. Well, I think that's spot on, Matt. You know, as I dug into church history, there are no coincidences in God's economy. And Cindy, my wife, and I spoke at a church in Luck, Wisconsin on November 14th. 
And at that gathering, I met a man by the name of John Zenz, and he gave me a book. I didn't know him from Adam at that point. He gave me a book that I started reading during deer season, and it's called Don't Be Called Leaders. And the subtitle is How Leadership Has Frustrated God's Eternal Purpose. And what he does is drill down how did we get this concept of brick-and-mortar churches with a pastor leading every Sunday versus what did God intend. And he broke down Matthew sixteen eighteen, which says, On this rock I will build my church. And he says specifically the word church should not be used. He says the word should be ecclesia. Did I pronounce that right, Matt? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Thank you. So I'm going to read a couple things from, from his book, and then I'll have you comment on it. So he says, <clears throat> Ecclesia must be defined as the Lord's people gathered together to carry out the whole gamut of Christ's kingdom purposes. Because of his study, then he wrote, the word church should be purged from our vocabulary. It has its origins in paganism, communicates nothing authentic, masks the life of Christ in the body, and is usually visually connected to buildings that appear every half mile in America. Yet this word is embedded in people's minds when they think of Christianity. And then one last thing I want to read from his book before your comment. He wrote, in many churches today, preaching is given too much importance. Preaching has become the center of the church service, and this is detrimental for two reasons. First, monologue communication where one person speaks and everyone else listens is limited to its effectiveness. Secondly, I can find no support from the scriptures for structuring church services around preaching by one person. Instead, 1 Corinthians 14 indicates a meeting where participation by all believers is encouraged. Matt, before you comment, I'll just say I'm Scott Shera, and I'm guest hosting Stand Up for the Truth today, and Matt Truella is my guest. Crash was giving me the look, so I needed to say that. No, I was giving you a look because that is the most awesome thing I've heard in a long time. Which I did not know all of that. That's all new to me. Well, fantastic. Isn't that awesome? Because well, how many times have you been sitting in a church and go, this does, church, in a, in, in a service going, something just doesn't feel right. I've had that thought for years, and I could never put my finger on it, and this man, John Zenz, put his finger Isn't on awesome? it. awesome? All right. It was, That's why, that was the look. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> All right, Matt, your, your thoughts and comments, please. Yeah, well, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, um, whereas I agree with some of what he has to say. There are good reasons why we have um, the buildings. There is a reason for having the preaching. Um, you don't have to have the buildings, and much of Christianity even now doesn't have buildings around the world. And... Um, but when he says the whole gamut, you know, regarding the ecclesia, you have to understand that the word ecclesia was um, a word at that time that was applied to the assembling of men, usually in a political setting. And um, ecclesia is used only twice by Christ there in Matthew 
16, Matthew 18. And it's used in the New Testament by the apostles again and again and again and again. It became a far more common term. And so it's interesting to note that it simply meant an assembly of people. And, yeah, we've made the focus, the building itself. I've done a sermon entitled um, Man's Preoccupation with Real Estate. <laughs> so, Because um, most Christians are preoccupied with real estate. And there's something to be said about that. Um, but the ecclesia itself um, is referred to, it's a um, Scottish-English word we use, church. And it simply is the tool or the means whereby Christ expands his kingdom in the earth, is the church. So you have these political overtones of the term that was adopted, both by Christ and by the apostles, being applied to the assembly or the gathering of the people of God. And that was because his kingdom is meant to impact all nations of the earth. That's a fact. And we've got a Christianity in America today that just wants to be a moose club and reduces Christianity to this little sliver of life. Um, and so that is not good. <laughs> and that's why we're in the condition we're in now. Um, when it comes to the preaching, I think a lot of the reason people are bothered by the um, preaching or one person monologuing, as he says, um, is because of the content itself. And when I visit other churches or listen to sermons people send me at times or talk to other Christians, they're left wondering, or I'm left wondering, who would sit there and listen to that over and over again? That level of, you know, why am I here? Why would I spend my time listening to this? I think it's the preaching itself that turns a lot of people off. I know one of the things that I hear from people all over the world, because my sermons get all over the world, and the number one thing that people say to me is you exegete the scriptures, you lay out what God's word says, and then you actually apply it to life. And that matters. And for most churchmen, you know, they read a verse at the beginning of the sermon, and then you're like listening to the sermon. What did that verse even have to do with everything they're talking about? Then you have others who actually do exegete the passage, but then they never make application of any sound, meaningful way. And I think that's what people are turned off by, is the actual preaching being done by churchmen themselves. Not that that's wrong to have monologue preaching. We see it in um, the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Um, the epistles themselves were a written monologue, <laughs> you know, and um, we see that throughout church history, that this has been an important part of Christianity, to gather and hear the Word of God preached. So I think it's the content of the preaching that people are turned off by. So when people um, like this brother uh, make their assertions, um, I think you need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, Matt, I am continuously impressed by how you are able to to expand on something and clarify it, and I think you nailed that specific issue exceptionally well. Uh, my name is Scott Shera. I'm guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today, and my guest is Matt Truella. Matt, I wanted to ask you, uh, when you're talking about application, 
Is that uh, subjective application, or are you talking like a biblical? Uh, like, what does a biblical application look like? If you could right, like go there for a second. Something as simple as you know, preaching on love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, and then making meaningful application in our day. How about actually doing something for your preborn neighbor who's threatened with butchery, with slaughter and death? Actually going out to the death camp and speaking up for that, um, putting literature out, meeting with the magistrates, <clears throat> and talking to them regarding their duty to outlaw this bloodshed. Meaningful application um, is what I'm talking about. Such as um, and, and, and a call so to later. action. A call to action. Yeah, I have two that I'll go through right now, Crash. Okay. This is great because uh, let's start with Romans thirteen one. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So this passage, more than any other one, got butchered with the whole COVID psyop. And sure. So I mean, Matt. I, I mean, I listened to Matt preaching on it and it was fantastic so go ahead comment on romans 13 1 matt yeah and if people go to sermonaudio.com and put in my name they can hear my sermon on romans 13 um just click on the speaker button and put in my name and my sermons come up <clears throat> that's sermonaudio.com they can all so i have a mercy seat channel at rumble and a mercy seat christian church channel at youtube so when you and, gave um, that my book. when you gave that sermon you were you had a mask on while you gave it right <laughs> yes of course <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah and I I we also at our website our, we have a website for the book I wrote on um, the doctrinal lesser magistrate you can go there and read my um, appendix which is in the book also dealing with Romans uh, thirteen and it's just a fourteen page treatise on Romans thirteen where I go through it. And what's important to note about, like, the passage you just read, is that when you read Romans 13, nowhere does it say that we're always to obey the civil authorities. Um, read verse 1 again. It does not say we are always to obey them. And rather, men impose that on the text. It's what we call eisegesis. Ice is the Greek word into. It's where you read into Scripture something that's not there. We want to do exegesis. Ek is the Greek word for out, and we want to draw out the original intended meaning of the passage. So um, when you read the Word of God, you see that um, there are many times where the people of God disobey the civil authorities, and God commends them for disobeying the civil authorities. And this gets back to the hallmark of good biblical hermeneutics, which is Scripture interprets Scripture. In other words, Scripture with the big S interprets Scripture with the small s. So when you're looking at a particular passage or verse, Scripture with a small s, you have to look at it in light of the whole of God's Word, Scripture with the big S. You have to look at its immediate context. You have to look at its context within the whole of Scripture. So you have the places where, you know, the people of God are told to do something wicked, like the Hebrew midwives were told to kill the male Hebrew children, they disobeyed and um, allowed the male Hebrew children to live, and God commended them for it. You have places where 
Um, the people of God are told not to do something right or good, like Daniel was told not to pray to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord anyway. And that has been the standard for Christianity for 2,000 years. And it's simply that when the state commands that which God forbids, or forbids that which God commands, we're to obey God rather than man. We're to obey God rather than the state. That has been the teaching of Christianity down through the ages. So that's the proper understanding of Romans 13. In there, you see that God makes it clear that the duty of the magistrates is to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good. Well, when they pervert their God-given duty and role and begin to punish those who do good and reward those who do evil, they are to be resisted on those points. Very well, very well put. So how did you know that we should not obey the mask mandate or the shot mandate? Yeah, well, I have sermons all about that. In fact, my sermon on the shot and the tyranny of man was thoroughly censored by YouTube and Facebook and pulled off, and I was thrown off for weeks <laughs> off the platforms. And, um, but other people posted other places, and last I saw it had over 100,000 views. Um, so in that sermon, I go into Scripture and God's law and word to show that, um, you know, getting the shot um, would be ludicrous. I, and I start with something as reasonable as just the fact that they want you to get this shot that badly should give you the sense to understand I shouldn't get that shot. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to masks, I deal with that also. Um, and I honestly can't remember all the things I applied at that time. But those sermons were thoroughly uh, dripping with the Word of God, um, uh, both that one and my response to mask, uh, state-mandated mask orders. Both of those sermons over 100,000 views. Both of those sermons um, go into the Word of God and how I applied it, going back to Crash's thing, um, to the masking and to the um, shock getting. Let's apply one more um, practical application per Crash's request. So we're going to go through your perspective of Romans 14.1 now. We just did 13.1. So 14.1 says, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. So that would be the unity principle that I hear preached uh, fairly often, and it is always at the expense of truth when I hear somebody preach unity. I'd like to hear have your perspective, Matt. Yeah, in fact, I preached a sermon on that, too, because so many people were contacting me who were being browbeat by their churchmen saying, you know, you need to get that mask on, you need to get that shot so you don't cause division in the church, so you don't offend the weaker brother. And So the title of my sermon is Romans 14, Misapplied to the Pandemic. And again, people can go to sermonaudio.com to hear my sermons on these subjects um, that I've been talking about. Just put hit the speaker button, put in my name, Matthew Chuella, and all my sermons come up. There's a search bar, but in a word, you know, Romans 14, it'll come up. And um, so when I preached that sermon, it was important at that time because 
people were being really beat up badly by their churchmen, and they were applying, misapplying Romans 14 in order to do that. So in Romans 14, you're dealing with vegetables versus meat. You're dealing with one-day special versus every day's alike. And these issues are um, what we would call tertiary issues, but nevertheless, they're issues that can cause problems and division within a congregation. Every churchman understands that. Paul understood it. And he's addressing these tertiary issues. So the churchmen are then taking those tertiary issues and then applying them to this great evil, <laughs> you know, that was being done and perpetrated on all Americans and all the world, you know, where people were being told to put on a mask and six feet apart, get these shots, um, you're not essential, totally abridging God's created order regarding work, um, totally spitting upon God's law regarding quarantine matters. You don't quarantine the whole world, you quarantine the sick, and there's a process to determine whether someone needs to be quarantined or not. Um, these things, you know, all the mandates, all the decrees that were being made, all the evil that was being done, that isn't the history of Christianity, Scott, is the confrontation of evil. <laughs> Christ confronted the evil of his day. The apostles did the same thing. All of Christianity has done so. We wield his sword, which is his word, and we bring it to the men of the land, and we bring it to the governments of men, and we declare what our king has to say in his law and word. This is extremely important to understand. So to take this Romans 14, dealing with these tertiary issues, things like vegetables versus meat, one day special versus every day alike, and to say, oh, this applies to this, is wrong simply because of the fact that this was a great evil that needed to be confronted, not complied with. Well, again, I, I appreciate your explanation, and I couldn't agree more. You know, as I have be, been deprogrammed, and I should say becoming deprogrammed since Grace's murder, what I have uncovered is there's some big things that have happened to the church over time that were shocking to me. So the Schofield Bible being funded and organized by the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers funding Christian seminaries, uh, it, with COVID specifically, some of the big mega churches shut down and received PPP grants, courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer. Of course, several churches didn't take a stand. Some even had vaccine clinics. And maybe the most surprising thing that I've learned is roughly 100,000 pastors in the United States have been trained by FEMA to organize congregations uh, into camps in the event of a federal emergency. All of this stuff, I mean, it, it's so shocking to me that uh, I, 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 I can't help but... Right. <laughs> no, all those things you just listed, I've looked into, and they're true. And, and you're bringing so much to memory <laughs> about the whole pandemic, just talking with you. The elderly, how they were treated. I mean, what evil. The hospitals becoming killing fields. Um, I, you look at all that, and you're going to reduce all that to Romans 14. You know, this guy thinks it's wrong to eat some meat. <laughs> you know, and you think it's okay. Um, sad. Sad. 
Matt, we have a break coming up in about one minute. I just want to introduce what we're going to talk about after break and so that you can process it and we'll come back and discuss it. My name is Scott Shera. I'm guest hosting Stand Up for the Truth today, and my guest is Matt Truella. So what I want to start with when we get back from the break is why did we let this happen? So now I'm putting the spotlight on all Christians and what when you go back in church history, you see, I think the first time it happened where we have a desire as people to not be accountable. And if you go to First Samuel chapter 8, you see that the, the people had a desire for a king, and God told Samuel to let them have what they want. God did not stop their desires. He said, let them have what they want. And then, Matt, in your introduction, to the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, you said, 1 Corinthians 7.23 commands, do not become slaves of men. Because of human nature, however, men tend to want to be ruled and cared for rather than take on responsibility and cherish liberty. Because of human nature, tyranny from time to time raises its ugly head. Because of human nature, men will endure a long train of abuses and usurpations. We'll pick that up as soon as we get back from the break. All right, I did look it up on sermonaudio.com. Matthew T-R-E-W-H-E-L-L-A. T-R-E-W-H-E-L-L-A. And that's where you can find all of the uh, the uh, teachings that he is talking about. This is a fresh new podcast for Monday, November 27. We'll be back in two minutes. Scott Shera is our guest host. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. If we shine the spotlight on all of us, as human nature would dictate, we don't want to be accountable. That's part of the sinful nature of man. And so consequently, all of us have been guilty of putting the church into the position that it is in. So now that we've come to grips with that, what are we supposed to do now? And that's what I want to do a dive into Matt's book. So this book was written in, in 2013. And what I want to start with is something from the beginning where Matt defines the doctrine and then he can ex- expand on it. He wrote a memorable statement that serves as a summary for the doctrine of the lesser magistrate actually came from a higher magistrate. Roman Emperor Trajan, while appointing a subordinate authority, handed him a sword and instructed him, saying, quote, Use this sword against my enemies if I have righteous commands, but if I have unrighteous commands, use it against me. So, Matt, could you expand so everybody can understand this doctrine? Because what I believe the practical application, I believe it's all over the place. We can use this in in almost every area of our respective life. So go ahead. Sure. Yeah, well, the doctrine is simply that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes <clears throat> unjust or immoral um, law, policy, or court opinion, the God-given right and duty of the lesser civil authority is not to obey. Rather, their duty is what's known as interposition. And if necessary, they're to actively resist 
the superior authority also in the evil that they're trying to accomplish. Um, and that's exactly what Emperor Trajan was summing up when he gave his sword to a subordinate and said, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. That's the doctrine in a nutshell. So you know, understand that the duty of the lesser authorities in the face of evil being promulgated by the superior civil authorities is not blithe compliance. Rather, their duty is interposition, to stand in the gap and to say, no, this evil will not be done in the jurisdiction where I possess authority. That's simply what the doctrine is. Um, the book that I wrote on it has sold over 130,000 copies now. And if people are interested in learning more about the doctrine, they can go to our website also, Scott, uh, defytyrants.com. I gave this book to a friend of mine in Clark County, and he is on the Board of Supervisors, and he ended up purchasing one copy for every person on the board. And through his uh, use of the principle that you just explained, they were able to stop the taking of farmland to put up solar and windmill farms in Clark County. I, I mean, so it has very practical applications. I know you've spoken around the entire world on this doctrine. What I'm surprised at is it's not used more often. And an example would be the county sheriffs have the authority to stop the jab in their respective counties. Karen Kingston has attempted to no avail to get that happening in Florida and can't get one of the sheriffs to even stop the jabs which are killing people. So anyway, I'd like to have you talk about successes that you've experienced and also why, why isn't this doctrine implemented in a, a lot more situations like with the county sheriffs? Sure. Yeah, and understand how important this doctrine is. You know, the tyrant superior civil authority, the superior civil authority that wants to act lawlessly, wants to do evil, they count on the blithe compliance of the lesser authorities in order to get their evil down into the fabric of society. So the interposition of the lesser magistrates stops that from taking place. That's how important their interposition is and the role of the people regarding this matter is to prod their lesser authorities to stand against the evil and to assure them that if they do that they'll be with them four square with their person with their property with their prayers both publicly and privately extremely important and yeah we do see it applied even in our day last um uh back in uh 2022 Last year, I went over to Michigan, for example, and spoke in five counties on the doctrine of lesser magistrate. People got fired up, and they actually took over three of the counties, completely took them over. And they were able to then begin to implement good things and take acts of interposition against the evil of the superior authority. For example, one of the counties, Ottawa County, um, they have get they had within their county the office of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which is nothing but a funnel for racist and um, 
prosodomy thought. So this comes from the state down to the counties. Well, they actually completely abolished the office of DEI in their county at their very first gathering after they, you know, took the reins of power there in the county and completely abolished it. So none of that corrupting influence is coming upon the people in their county anymore via county government. And they were able to save the people over $260,000, save the taxpayers over $260,000 a year by removing this office. Um, They also put in a new health director, fired the old one, put in a new one. The other one was a psychopath following everything that, you know, Fauci and the psychos were saying. And they put in someone who's sane and um, doesn't think like that. So that's the type of influence you can have at the county level. One story I like to use, and by the way, like you said, you can use this in many areas, and people have used it regarding medical freedom, regarding the pre-born at the county level, um, regarding um, Second Amendment matters at the county level. But uh, one story I like to use, because it just sums everything up so really well, is um, Madison County, Illinois. This is in May of 2020, you may recall, at that time, the governors were all coming out with new decrees every 72 hours, and Governor Pritzker in Illinois, who we all know, um, is a tyrant. He came out with his latest decree, and it was this. No businessmen can open their business until I say they can open their business. And now if you open your business before I say you can open your business, you will be arrested and charged with a crime. Well, the next day, in a state with 102 counties, only one county gathered together their men and issued their own decree. And that was Madison County, sits over right across uh, the Mississippi River from St. Louis. And their decree stated, our businessmen are free to reopen now, and we'll use all our power and all our authority to protect our businessmen. And then they cautioned the governor and the state not to interfere with their businessmen. Well, this caused no small stir, (laughs) and um, Governor Pritzker responded in good tyrant, pharaoh-like fashion, held a press conference the next day, threatening Madison County with losing their federal money, their state money, and he had a whole list of bad things that were going to happen to them if they didn't give it the program. Lo and behold, he held this press conference for three days in a row, attacking Madison County. But Madison County held resolute. They didn't flinch. They didn't waver. And then seven days after Governor Pritzker had made his decree, the Illinois State Police put out a press release stating, we will not arrest any businessman who opens their business before Governor Pritzker says they can anywhere in the state. (laughs) So they had decided to stand with the men at Madison County. And um, the very next day after that, Governor Pritzker rescinded his order. So understand, if it hadn't been for the lone interposition of that one county, all of Illinois would have remained under that draconian decree. That's how important their interposition was. And Governor Pritzker was faced with one of two options, which is the only two options a tyrant has when men actually stand in interposition, stand in the gap against their evil, which often they don't. 99 times out of 100, they just comply with it, which allows the tyrant to build the next plank of their tyranny. 
compliance always allows the tyrant to build the next plank of their tyranny. So what were the two options he was left with? Well, he could either um, step back, which he did, and rescind his order, or he would have to come out of his um, lair and show his fangs and attack the men of Madison County like he was threatening to do so. Um, that's his only two options. And anyways, it's just a great story of how the tyranny of the superior authority is reined in. It's exactly what the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is meant to do. It's a doctrine found in the word of God, Scott. In my book, I talk about John Knox and his appellation to the nobles of Scotland, which he wrote in 1558. Um, he cited over 70 passages of scripture to show that the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is sound in the word of God. The nobles, by the way, of Scotland at his time were the lesser magistrates of his day. So it's extremely important doctrine found in the word of God, which still needs application here in America in our day. It also shows that when men stand with God, what God is capable of, you know, that governor backing down, uh, that is, you watched a miracle happen. You know, from your mm -hmm. book, Matt, you wrote, when a government ceases to protect the citizenry of their God-given rights, but instead constructs laws attacking and depriving men of those rights, that government has perverted its power and has decided to play the tyrant. Such a government is to be resisted and not obeyed regarding those areas of unjust laws. That's where we're at right now as a country. You know, we, we may not be experiencing it personally, but it is coming. If you pay attention to not the mainstream media, the real media, you'll see what's going on. And if you open your eyes to what's happening, this is real stuff. And I get asked often, Matt, what can I do? And what you just explained is something all of us can do. We can go yeah. to our county boards and we can we can stand the gap personally. I want to go through an example. Uh, first, I, I better say, so I don't get in trouble, my name is Scott Shera and I'm guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today. If you're just joining us, uh, my guest is Matt Truella, and we are talking about what has happened to the church and what can we do. And Matt is going through... Uh, Apply the application of the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. Anyway, Matt, I want to talk through an example that was just given to me this last week. Through through Grace's case, we broke the veil or uh, of medical malpractice, and now we have the first medical battery case in the entire country. Two ladies from Fresno contacted me because they want to do a common law case and they shared a document with me and they want to do a common law case against the federal government. Why? Because this whole COVID PSYOP has created more death than anything that we've ever seen in our country. And they shared an internal memo that got leaked from a hospital system in California. And I want to just read a couple sentences from it because I know it will hit you because uh, you're you are very active with the the preborn. And this has to do with the preborn also. But it's what is it, what's been happening as a result of the mothers taking the jab. So this head nurse writes to her staff. Well, it seems as though the increase of demise patients, 
So these are the, the babies uh, that we are seeing is going to continue. There were 22 demises in August, which ties the record of demises in July of 2021. And so far in September, there are seven, and it's only the eighth day of the month. So she's going on and on about these baby deaths because there's been so many baby deaths because of the mother taking the jab. Uh, she had to develop a policy. So now she references they, they put together a fetal demise binder mat. And so this is what one of the statements in the binder. She says, uh, Traction informed me that they are no longer allowed to carry specimens in large paper bags. So please uh, place the placenta or lar you know, large white bucket in the large biohazard bag only. Why are they not allowed to transport things, she calls the babies things, in a paper bag? I did not ask, but that is what I was told. So do you see, I mean, I, I, so in this situation, just take a, a nurse. Obviously, this nurse who wrote this is bought into the whole agenda. But what about a nurse who sees that this is wrong? What does she do using the doctrine of the lesser magistrates? Yeah, she could definitely contact the authorities within um, the hospital structure itself. She could also um, um, talk to the county officials and to um, state officials and um, make known that this needs to change, this needs to stop, there needs to be um, a new course of action taken. That's some of the things you can do in a situation like that that just come to mind at the top of my head. What about the consequences to people speaking out? So last weekend you... Um prayed for a man by the name of Hans Schmidt from Glendale, Arizona. So he's a pastor who was speaking out, sharing the gospel on a street corner. He was shot in the head. And yeah. so some people would say, well, by speaking out, you know, I, I'm risking my life. What is your response to something like that? Yeah, we have to speak out. <laughs> it's what Christ has called us to do. And sometimes, you know, bad things happen, you know. People are persecuted. People are mistreated. Christ himself told us that would happen to us, that those types of things would take place. Um, the worst thing you can do when there's wickedness in the land is to just sit and cower and look out for yourself. And this is where drawing close to the Lord is massively important, being in love with him and therefore being able to properly love your neighbor because of your love for him and making known the truth of his word, as this brother was doing out there in Arizona, proclaiming the truth of God's word on the street corners, which, by the way, is massively important to do. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it throughout church history, the public proclamation of God's word, public not just being in a church building behind a pulpit where everybody agrees with you, but public out on the street, public at the university, public, you know, when the magistrates gather and you have opportunity to address them. These are important things for Christians to do, and we must do. It's because of our silence, um, you know, that, and because of our indifference, that our country is in the condition it's in right now. The fact that the Christians and churchmen particularly have pillared a form of Christianity which actually thinks it's spiritual by not being involved in civil government matters. 
when the truth of the matter is Christ and Christianity have always been involved in civil government matters. Psalm chapter 2, God says of his son, I will give you the nations. Um, he declares in Matthew 28 that his kingdom is um, to impact all the nations of the world. Um, you know, you look at Paul when he first did his very first missionary journey. His very first convert was a Roman magistrate. Um, he was chained to the magistrates. He spoke to kings. <laughs> you know, it's like um, often what brings us into contact with the magistrates as Christian people is persecution. You look at the apologists also. Um, there was persecution there, too. Why did the apologists write beginning in 140 A.D.? And for the next 200 years, because Christians were being persecuted, because Christ and Christianity was being lied about um, by wicked men. And so they declared the truth of God's word to the magistrates. When you read the apologists, they almost all of their apologies were written first to a Roman official, such as a Roman governor or the emperor, and then to the people of the realm itself. This is extremely important for us to do, to write, to speak, to talk. We should not cower in the corner. And I know that's the kind of response you would get from some people, you know, well, I could get hurt. You know, one young man from our church, for example, said his parents didn't want him going out on the streets when we went out on the streets to minister a couple days after this brother was shot out there. And, uh, but he went out. Why, why did he go out? Because we have to speak up. We have a duty and we have love for Christ and for our neighbor. And so we speak. It cannot be silent. That's what I would say about those things. Well, do you have an update on Hans Schmidt? I tried to look him up last night. No, last, last night, I've heard, I have, I have no, unfortunately, I have no personal contact with the family. So I'm just going by things I find on the internet. And, um, I don't think it's really been revealed um, how severe his injuries are, if they're permanent or not. And um, but yeah, we definitely need to continue to pray for that brother. One thing that shocked me was some of the mainstream media comments, and they were along the lines that, well, you know, when somebody does something offensive like that, you know, what should they expect? You know, versions of that, and that's, and that's that is where we're at as a country, and you know. What I want to do, Matt, is wrap up our last few minutes together talking about repentance. And I'll set the stage by by what Jamie Walden calls the spirit of the age, that we have become the church of Laodicea. And Jesus said, if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. And one of your sermons that I listened to, you really drilled this down. And I I, I have a quote here from you. You you said, the more insane the rebellion, the more insane the consequences. We have rebelled against God slowly at first and rapidly today and are experiencing severe consequences. What's God's purpose in this law? To bring us to repentance. If we repent, he will save us. If we don't, he will destroy us. So I'd like to have your comment and talk about that for our last few minutes. Yeah, well, it's important for us to understand that um, the Lord has unleashed the tyrants upon us, upon our nation, and rightly so, justly so, um, because we are a nation in utter rebellion against God. And again, I go back to the indifference of Christianity and the form of Christianity that we've pillared here. 
thinking we should have nothing to do with civil government matters. Um, the truth of the matter is Christian men have abandoned the realm of civil authority, have done so for nigh on a hundred years now. And that has consequences um, because we've left that arena. Wicked men have come in, filled the void, and they've made their worldview law, policy, and court opinion. And as you can see, it's not good. And in fact, uh, good is now evil, and evil is now good. And have you noticed that we now live in an insane asylum? So it's very um, important that we understand that um, God's judgment is just. And, you know, the tyrants have pulled back right now, but they'll come forward again. And it's important that we stand true to Christ in the midst of it and that we engage um, as Christian men and women with wicked men. We engage wicked men with Christian thought and that we engage the magistrates with Christian thought. I think that's extremely important um, for us to do so. And we have plenty to repent of. We have our, re our indifference to repent of and many other aspects of our um, Christianity um, that we need to um, repent of and in our own personal lives. Well, I couldn't agree more. You know, as I look forward, I see a number of things on the horizon with what the what evil uh, will take the next form of, and one of those is the idea of an amnesty play. And we saw this thought process with nine eleven, right? When we we had evil attack our country, and what happened is uh, the country instantly fell trapped to security and comfort. We got something to take away the evil, and amnesty is that type of play. It's the first step in a security and comfort play where uh, we they want us to forget about what happened. Let's offer an amnesty plan instead of holding anybody to account, and then set up the next stage of evil, which ultimately brings in security and comfort, duping the entire population. Anyway, Matt, last couple of comments, if you would, regarding what I just said, and then we'll wrap up for today. Yeah, well, I'm, I thought immediately of a quote from Dr. Machen, who, of course, was Orthodox, stood faithful 100 years ago to Orthodox Christianity. He said, everywhere there arises before our eyes the specter of society where security, if it is attained at all, will be attained at the expense of freedom where the security that is attained will be the security of fed beasts in a stable, and where all the high aspirations of humanity will have been crushed by an all-powerful state. Wow. That's well said. Thank that you for Matt. Thank you for that, Matt. That rhymes. Matt, thanks for being my guest today. I really appreciate you more than you know. Thank you. All right. That's going to wrap up a fresh podcast for November 27, 2023. On the docket, coming up on Center for the Truth, Julaine Appling, John Haller, and J.B. Hickson. <laughs>